Today's reading is from Acts 8, 1 through 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The word of the Lord. Probably would help if I plugged my microphone in. Well, let me pause for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here together today for whatever you have in store for us. God, I just pray for our church. Um, lift us up to you, our congregation up to you. As we are in this time of waiting, in this time of transition, that we would keep our eyes focused on you. That as hard and difficult as this time might be, that we would just trust that you have a great plan for us. And that whoever you have in mind for this position, for the position of senior pastor, um, God, that you would work in their hearts, that you would lead them towards you, that you would give them wisdom to lead us as a church so that we can continue to be the light and the hope of Carmichael for many, many years beyond today. God, just pray for the search team that you would continue to fill them with wisdom and lead them as they uh, look at applications and do interviews and ask questions. Um, God, would you continue to guide that process so that your will would be done? God, I pray for us this morning that um, as we are, are gathered here, that our hearts would be open to hear what you want us to hear. God, would you just make the text plain and clear to us? Spirit, would you move in us so that we can know what you want us to know and do what you want us to do? God, we love you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, I just want to remind you that there is always prayer available at the end of every service. So you can find the prayer banner over on your left-hand side there. And there will be a team of people there after service who would love to pray with you and for you for any prayer needs you might have. So we're going to be diving into Acts chapter 8 today. But before we dive into that text, um, I just want us to stop and, and think about our own stories, our own faith journeys, our relationship with Christ and where we are at today. Uh, for, for many of us, for almost everyone in here, we are here because someone was faithful to proclaim the gospel to us. Someone loved us enough and loved Christ enough that they shared Jesus with us and told us the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that might have been a parent, it might have been a grandparent, it might have been a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. Um, but someone was faithful to being the church and to proclaiming the gospel to us. And now we get to receive that gift, to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we get to be the church and to carry that message forward for many generations to many other people. And that's what being the church is all about. But I, I want us to rejoice in knowing that God has been faithful to his promises. Look at what it said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll come back to Acts 8 in just a second. 
But Acts 1.8 has been kind of a theme verse for us in the book of Acts. Jesus told his disciples, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we are here gathered together because God was faithful to that promise to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we have received that promise. We have received that message. We get to hear that message on a, a weekly basis. And for many of us, we have put our trust in Christ. And now we get to be a part uh, of continuing to be witnesses here locally and to the ends of the earth that maybe the gospel has not reached quite yet. But what's interesting as we come to Acts chapter 8 is that so far to this point, the gospel has only been proclaimed in Jerusalem. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we saw that there were people gathered from all over. In Acts chapter 7, we saw people were gathered from north and south of Israel uh, to hear the message that Stephen proclaimed. And so we assume that there were people who received the gospel message, put their trust in Christ, that they were filled with the Spirit, and that they went to their homes and their areas of influence and were proclaiming the gospel. But we haven't seen it directly stated yet until we get to Acts chapter 8. And so there's this moment where we should be rejoicing that the gospel is reaching the ends of the earth, and yet it comes in the midst of great pain. We're introduced to a man named Saul in Acts chapter 7 at the very end of Stephen's story. It tells us that when the men went to stone Stephen, they laid their coats at the feet of Saul. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it picks up with this, and Saul approved of their killing him. What a way to start a chapter. It goes on, it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So again, right here in verse one, we see both pain, but we also see, see God leading people and fulfilling his promise. We see hope in this story. Because what do you say in Acts 1 He says the gospel is gonna go, the, the message is gonna go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And here we're seeing the people are spread out and, and Luke wants us to see that they have reached all of Judea and they've reached Samaria. And so we are understanding that the gospel is now going from Jerusalem. It spent time in Jerusalem. It's gonna keep spending time in Jerusalem, but also now it's beginning to reach these other places and these other locations. And so this great persecution breaks out and it is in large part due to this man named Saul. Verse three tells us this. It says that Basal began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so Saul and some other leaders uh, were not repentant at the death of Stephen, but instead they were energized by it. And they decided to take this opportunity to go and shut the church down once and for all. And so they're going to do this by having Christians imprisoned, having Christians killed, having Christians beaten. They are going to persecute the church. And in doing so, their hope is to end the church, is to end the gospel message. And I want us to have hope today, confidence today in our God. Because what man intended for evil, God used for good. I mean, how crazy is it to think that these men decided, hey, we are going to shut down the church and instead they multiply it. They spread its influence into further parts of the world. This is a, a significant moment in the history of the church, but I want to just mention Saul. We're going to talk about him more next week. But I want us to, to remember that Saul is being set up here as an enemy of the gospel. 
And I think it's important for our hearts to accept that that's who he is. Now, a lot of us in here have grown up in church and we know his conversion story. We know that he is better known as the Apostle Paul. We know in Acts 9 that he is going to give his life to Jesus and he's become, going to come, become one of the greatest Christian evangelists. He will write over half the books in the New Testament. This is a man who is used by God for great things. But here he is an enemy of the church. He is an enemy of the gospel. His desire is to persecute, harm, and destroy the church and the work of God. And so we need to feel this tension because Acts chapter 8 reveals God's heart for people. That he longs to transform hearts. He longs to change hearts. And he wants to see people go from not interested to explorers to new believers, but he doesn't want to just keep people at that point of salvation. He wants new believers to become growing Christians and growing Christians to become fully committed followers. And fully committed followers are those who stop asking what's in it for me and just say, how can I glorify God? And so a big moment as we look at like Stephen's life, at the end of his life, as people were murdering him, he prays for his persecutors and he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And I read that, I think, yeah, that's the heart of the church. Like, we are called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But then I start to do a heart check, and I start to realize, man, when people offend me, I mean, when someone cuts me off on the road, I'm like, Lord, strike them down now. <laughs> and so to think of the fact that Saul really is doing something very evil, evil in God's eyes, and yet Stephen does what Jesus called him to do and prays, not that just his behavior would change, but that he would be saved. That's a powerful prayer, and it's a powerful response. And so as we talk about the gospel going forth, first we have to check our hearts to make sure, do we really long to see everyone saved, as many people as possible? Do we long to be a part of God reaching our enemies, of God reaching those that we don't like, those we disagree with? Do we long to see God do a work in every person's heart? Because Saul's story is in Scripture in part because Stephen prayed a prayer for this man who was persecuting him because Stephen had the same mindset as Jesus who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so as we dive into this text, we have to ask ourselves, is that my heart? And if not, maybe we need to ask God to transform our hearts first. And so here's what's happening. For whatever reason, the church has not gone beyond Jerusalem from what we've seen. And so that might be disobedience, that might just be a lack of opportunity, it might just be that there's so much need in Jerusalem that they, they just weren't ready to go. But at some point, God said, all right, it's time to see people spread out. And he says, hey, these evil men want to do something that they think is going to bring harm to the church. I'm going to use that for good. And so I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to turn it around. Now, that being said, there are moments where, yes, God is going to bring, uh, bring beauty out of ashes, bring good from something that is painful and harmful. But I want us to understand that it's still okay to feel, to feel pain. It's still okay to mourn. It's still okay to feel sorrow over situations. As a matter of fact, look at verse 2. It tells this, that, that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And so there's this act of mourning. Now, Stephen's story is, of course, used for God's glory. But it doesn't make it less painful. 
And, and, and Christians, oftentimes, I, I don't think we handle grief very well because we, we know we have this hope and we have peace and we have all these different things. And so we think that, that mourning is a sign of like a lack of trust in Christ or a lack of the Spirit moving in us or we're just not looking at the hope we have enough. And so sometimes we, we give out you know, these, these cliches, these, we throw out these verses, and yes, there's truth to them, but it's not what's needed in the moment. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus himself wept over a friend that he was going to bring back from the grave, and yet he allowed himself to feel that pain and to feel that sorrow. And so as we look at this story, we want to remember that it's okay to feel sorrow. It's okay to feel the weight of things that are going on, even when they're being used for good. But in all of it, we want to keep our eyes on Christ. And so the church is being persecuted and is being scattered. And, and while this is a painful thing, it's also a good thing. See, this is actually the regular pattern of the church. The regular pattern of the church is to gather and then to scatter. The regular pattern, the regular habit for us as members of the church is to gather together and then to scatter. We can't neglect either of these. So we gather together in times like this where either you're in person or online. We gather so that we can uh, study the, the, the teaching of the word, so that we can worship together, we can have communion, so that we can encourage and strengthen one another. We gather for Bible studies in small groups. We gather for fellowship. We gather for many different reasons and at many different times in many different places. We as the church need to gather. We need one another. But we also need to scatter. We need to go into the world and interact with non-Christians, interact with people who don't think like us, who don't look like us, who don't act like us. We need to go into these spaces because we are the light of the world. We are the hope in our areas of influence. We are the witnesses locally and to the ends of the earth. And so we are called to scatter. And if you're thinking, hey, you know, I don't even uh, know what a non-Christian looks like, it's probably time to go make some new friends. Like we need to find ways to interact with people who are not believers so that we can demonstrate the light and the truth and love of Jesus Christ to them. And so we as the church, yes, we gather together so that we can be filled up so that as we are sent out scattered, then we can pour out to others and proclaim the name of Jesus to those around us. We are pastors in our areas of influence, but we can't be pastors in our areas of influence if we don't ever meet anyone who, who needs to grow in their relationship with Christ, who needs to meet Jesus. And so we gather and we scatter. And so God can take that which is harmful and he can turn it for his good and that's what happens here. And in verse four, it tells us this. It says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, this is an important part of the text because yes, we are to gather and we are to scatter. But again, when we scatter, what are we doing? We're living on mission for Jesus Christ. We're living as witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're not just scattering to get away from all of our church friends, but we're going into these spaces to be a light, to be a witness, to serve. And, and here's the really interesting thing in this passage. This is not about the apostles. It tells us in verse 1 that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So this is the next generation of Christians. But this is average, ordinary, everyday Christians. It's people just like you and I. 
It's Christian businessmen, it's Christian teachers, it's Christian leaders, it's Christian politicians, it's Christian bakers, it's Christians just in their family going about their business. This persecution and yet the spirit filling these people and leading these people was happening for every member of the church. Again, we don't just gather at church, we are the church. We are the church gathered here together and then we're gonna be the church scattered going and doing the work of Jesus Christ, being a light for him. And so this is a call for each and every one of us that we are proclaiming that gospel message. But the powerful moment here in verse four is that God took persecution of his people and he turned it to proclamation of the good news. God took the persecution of his people and he turned it to proclamation of the good news. Listen, when we follow God, when we put our trust in him, we know that we are on the winning side. We know that we will have victory because God is always victorious. And so here there's this moment where Saul and these other uh, people are trying to stop the church and God's like, oh, that's cute. Watch what I'm gonna do with your plans. I'm gonna use your plans to stop the church, to expand the church. When we put our trust in Christ, when we are serving God and following him, we are on the winning side. It goes on to tell us this. It kind of zooms in on what is actually happening here, where verse 4 kind of gives the generic idea that the gospel is being presented in all these places. Verse 5 starts zooming in and, and giving us a focused look at what's happening. So it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaim the Messiah there. Now, Philip, this is Philip the deacon, not Philip the apostle, because the apostles are all staying in Jerusalem. So this is Philip, who was one of the seven deacons that was chosen to go and serve widows. This is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with wisdom. He has a servant's heart. He has been faithful to serve God with the gifts that God had given him. And now it appears that God is giving him more opportunity and maybe some more spiritual gifts to serve him in different ways as well. And so it tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now I love the, the contrast between verse 1 and verse 8. Because this just tells us what God is doing. In, in verse 1, we see that there is a great persecution that broke out. And in verse 8, we see great joy is in the city. Great persecution leads to great joy. That shouldn't really make sense in our heads. And, and yet God will take what is meant for harm and he can turn it into something good and something beautiful. And so for these followers of Christ, they may not have been aware of what God was doing at the moment. But when we put our trust in Jesus, we're saying we are all in, as we talked about last week, at whatever the cost is, because we know that the reward is greater than the cost. And here in this moment, I'm sure if they knew, they would all sign up for this to say, yes, we're going to experience some pain. We're going to experience some hurt. We're going to experience some persecution because in doing so, we get to be a part of proclaiming the gospel and bringing hope and life to people who didn't have it. See, they present Jesus to a people who were headed down a path that leads to destruction, that were lost in sin. And they said, no, that God has another, another plan. He has a different way. He's offering you salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And so if you put your trust in him, repent of your sins, and turn towards Jesus, you can be saved. And this is what they were experiencing, and it led to great joy in that city. Now, which city are we talking about? We're talking about a city in Samaria. And again, this is important as we check our own hearts to remember where the gospel is being proclaimed. See, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. Samaritans and Jews hated one another. They had a bitter rivalry with one another. I mean, this is worse than Giants and Dodgers fans trying to get along together, right? This is, this is a, a greater hatred than Apple users have for Android users who are on their group chat. This is a great hatred. So what happens here is, is just to make sure that we understand this, is Israel was once a united nation of 12 tribes, and then they had, uh, many diff- they had a few kings that came along. One of these kings, uh, his name was Rehoboam, he kind of ended up messing everything up. And so after Rehoboam made a decision that was a poor decision, the kingdom split in two. So 10 tribes followed another man named Jeroboam. And, and those 10 tribes fall, uh, became their, their own nation. They were the nation of Israel. Two tribes stayed with Rehoboam, and they became the nation of Judah. Immediately, there's conflict between the two nations, and they are going at war with one another. And over and over and over again, we see in the book of Kings and Chronicles that there is war and conflict between Judah and Israel. Now, on top of that, Jeroboam recognized that, hey, the temple is in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. Well, I don't want to send my people to go worship in this enemy nation now. So he set up a place of worship in Samaria, which would be the capital of Israel. And so now they have this this false place of worship, and their worship begins to be uh, for false gods. And they even eliminate most of the Old Testament. They only pay attention to the first five books and say the rest of it we're not going to pay attention to. And then on top of all that, there's a time where the Assyrians come in and they take over and the Samaritans decide to intermarry with the Assyrians, which they weren't supposed to do according to God's commands. And so the Jews looked at the Samaritans and they saw them as these traitorous, half-breed, false-worshipping enemies of, 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 of Judah and enemies of the one true God. And in some ways, they weren't necessarily wrong about some of those pieces, that Samaria really had gone away from true and proper worship. And yet Samaritans equally hated the Jewish people as well because they saw them as the traitors and the ones who were worshiping falsely. And so there was just this conflict that existed between them. And so I want us to understand that because for Philip to go into Samaria, maybe he was just looking for safety. But when he realizes, no, these are people that God actually longs for them, that God wants their hearts, that I need to proclaim the gospel message to these people, that was a big deal. So there's a transformation that's happening, not just for the Samaritans, but also for Philip and for these other Jewish Christians who had constantly looked at Samaria as a place that was in rebellion to God. And what I want us to understand from this is that the gospel can and will reach all places. Now, let me be very clear That does not mean that everyone is going to be saved. It does not mean that everyone is going to be saved. But what it means is that when Jesus said in Acts 1-8 that the gospel was going to reach the ends of the earth, I think that he was telling the truth. And so when you look at places where you think it's going to be difficult for the gospel to, to, to get into these spaces, whether that's a location or a people group or just um, a, people, a, a type of thinking, what, however we divide people up, we might look and say that person, that group of people, that place, the gospel can never reach that place. The gospel can't do any work there. 
Well, all throughout Scripture, it shows us that those who were farthest from God, that God can take them, transform their hearts, and He can actually use them for His glory. He can use them to do great things in His name. And so there shouldn't be a place that we are afraid to go and take the gospel message to, and there certainly shouldn't be a place that we do not want to or we refuse to go to to take the gospel message. So we need to have transformed hearts ourselves. And this is what happens in Philip, but I think it's more clear when we look at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 says this, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles hear, hey, Samaria is getting saved. There's a revival happening in Samaria. And I imagine their first thought was probably, yeah, that's impossible. Right? So they go to Samaria and, and they get there and they see, no, these people really are believers. They really are brothers and sisters. And they pray for these people and they actually go, it tells us that John and Peter go and evangelize to many cities in Samaria. And so this seems like, hey, yeah, that's a nice moment. That's what the church is supposed to do. Like we're evangelizing, we're sharing our faith. But if you follow John's story, in Luke chapter 9, there is a moment where Jesus and the apostles, including John, are are walking through Samaria and some Samaritans reject Christ. Now, this is not the first time, and it certainly wouldn't be the last time that Jesus was rejected. He was also rejected in Jerusalem and pretty much everywhere he went, there were people who rejected him. But here in this moment, John thinks, oh, I'm going to do the righteous thing. And he says, Jesus, do you want me to call down fire from heaven upon these people? And Jesus is like, yeah, that'd be awesome. No. Jesus says no, and he rebukes John for his heart in this moment. Because see, John's heart saw an enemy that needed to be destroyed. And Jesus' heart saw someone that was lost that needed to be found. And so Jesus wanted John, and he wants us to understand that while, yes, people are acting as enemies of the gospel, there are no enemies except for the evil one, the enemy himself. But people are made in the image of God, and God has a heart to bring lost people to him. And so our desire in our heart should be for the lost to get found, for those who are headed down a path to death and destruction to turn and walk on a path that leads to life. And so the person that you think is farthest from God, the person that you think is the least Christ-like person you know, God might just have you stir up a desire in you to pray for that person, to witness to that person, to be a light to that person so that they can turn around, repent of their sins and and, and receive the gift of Jesus Christ and become a light for him. And if we think it's impossible, we just need to spend more time reading the word of God. And so then Acts chapter eight wraps up with the story of Philip meeting this Ethiopian eunuch and Philip just has this incredible moment to serve God and to be a witness that will extend well beyond himself. He meets with this Ethiopian eunuch who happens to work for the queen of Ethiopia. And and there's just this crazy God moment where God's directing him to this place and he's able to like run alongside this chariot and he ends up being invited into the chariot and the man is reading from Isaiah 53, which if you've ever read Isaiah 53 is just such a clear and perfect picture uh, prophecy of Jesus Christ. And so Philip explains who Jesus is using this text and using the rest of the Old Testament to tell him all about Jesus and who he is and what he did. 
And the man puts his trust in Christ. He is baptized and, and, and it is assumed that he takes that message into greater parts of Africa. And so because Philip has been faithful throughout this story, throughout this section of scripture, he is able to be a witness that will share with someone who will bring the gospel to ends of the earth that yet to be reached. And so when we are faithfully serving God, using the gifts we have, going where he calls us to go, like God is going to be faithful in using us to proclaim the gospel message. And so I want to give us four application points. I know there's three written down there, but I want to add one that we've already talked about. And so the first one here is how do we be the church based on what we've just talked about from Philip's story and what we see in Acts chapter 8? The first thing is we need to be the church that gathers and scatters. Gather and scatter. Don't give up on either of these things, but make sure that we are continuing to meet together so that we can be filled up and then going into the world so that we can be a light. The second thing is this, is that we need to pray for hearts to be changed. We need to pray for changed hearts. That starts with us individually praying for ourselves, that we would have the mindset of Jesus Christ, praying for our church, that we would have the same attitude as a Philip, as, as John in this passage, not John who wants to call down fire on his enemies, but the John who wants to see the spirit enter people's lives, wants to see people saved. We need to pray for our hearts to be changed so that then we can pray fervently and passionately for the lost to be saved. So if we pray for our hearts to be changed, then we pray for the lost hearts to be changed so that they can come to know Christ as well. And so that means every person that God has, has put you in their life, that you are praying for these people. Praying for those who, who seem like enemies of the gospel and praying for those friends who just might not be interested at the moment. But we pray for heart transformation because I believe that the prayer of Stephen helped to inform Saul's transformation and conversion as well. And so there's power in our prayers. So pray for changed hearts. The second thing is this, use your gifts and be ready to witness. Use your gifts and be ready to witness. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that moved in the apostles is the same spirit that's moving in our lives, in our, in our church, in our hearts today. And the spirit gives us at least one spiritual gift. And so if your gift is serving, then serve. If it's giving, then give. If it's evangelizing, then evangelize. If it's hospitality, then open up your home and be a witness of Jesus Christ using whatever gifts God has given to you. If you want more opportunity, you want more gifts, ask God who might just present these opportunities to you. And if he gives you those opportunities, he will equip you for that. But also be prepared to be a witness. First Peter tells us that, that we should be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. And so we should at the very least be able to give a pretty basic gospel explanation. Now that might just be John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You take that and you add on at the beginning a, a hey, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you got a pretty good gospel message right there. But we need to be prepared to be a witness while we use the gifts that God has given us, that we are witnessing the work and the power of Jesus Christ. And third and finally, we need to go where God leads you. Go where God leads you. Wherever God has called you to go is where you need to be. And if you feel like you are not equipped, if you feel like you are not prepared, that's because you're operating on your own strength and your own understanding. But remember that the Spirit lives in you and the Spirit will lead you and guide you and equip you and empower you for whatever work He wants you to do. Now let me just give you some encouragement here. 
and know that you have been placed in your areas of influence at this time for a purpose. God has put you in your families. He has put you in your homes. He has put you in your neighborhoods. He has put you in your places of work. He has put you in your schools. He has put you in your areas of influence. He has put you here in this church at this time for a purpose. It is not by accident. You are in your areas of influence to be a witness. And so I can tell you that God has already called you to the places where you are at to be faithful to serve him. Now, God might be stirring something in you to to, to go somewhere else. Maybe that's to go be a missionary, go plant a church, whatever that may be. If God's calling you to that, then we need to be faithful and go. God might be calling you to some difficult people, to some challenging people, some challenging friends, some challenging coworkers, some challenging family member to go and be a light. And if God calls you, we need to respond in faithfulness and obedience and go. And remember that it is not us who is doing the work, it is the spirit dwelling inside of us. See, as we look at Acts chapter eight, it's not a story about a hero named Philip. It's about God and the work that he is doing through a faithful servant, an obedient servant. It's about God doing work through unnamed followers of Christ who are proclaiming the gospel everywhere they went. And it is telling us that God will do a work through each and every one of us if we are faithful to gather together for strength, for encouragement, for power, and to scatter to proclaim the good news, to use our gifts, to pray for changed hearts, to go where God calls us to go. So let's be the church the way God has called us to be the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit that teaches about who you are and show us what you desire from us. God, would we be your faithful servants, obedient to do what you have called us to do, to go where you've called us to go. God, would you mold and shape our hearts so that we have the same mindset that you have for the lost and for your people. God, would we be a picture of love proclaiming the truth everywhere we go, demonstrating your love, acceptance, and forgiveness to everyone we come in contact with. And God, would you use us to expand your kingdom. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. God, we love you and praise things in your son's name. Amen.